The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Spooky season is by far my favorite time of year, so I wanted to release a special episode of Washed Away in order to celebrate. You're going to hear me talking to a paranormal investigator out of Spokane. Her name's Amanda Paulson, as she tells me about her experiences at some of Eastern Washington's most haunted locations. There's some history, some mystery, ghosts, and even a little bit of murder. So consider this your content warning, though truly this episode is much more casual and lighthearted than the rest, in my opinion. I hope you enjoy it, and happy Halloween. So how long have you been a paranormal investigator and like what got you into the paranormal? So I've been a paranormal investigator now for 12 years. I officially started investigating in um, 2008 when I was 18 and I'm 30 now. I first got interested in the paranormal because the house that I lived in when I was a kid, when I was like seven or eight, uh, was haunted or I believed it was haunted. Um, And that kind of kickstarted my journey into the paranormal. Were you scared at first and like kind of, did you kind of get used to it or I don't know, what was that like? So the first instance that happened was actually like walking into this like duplex that we were going to move into. And I specifically remember being shown it and finding this penny and like I had a really active imagination at this time. And so I saw the penny and I was like, oh my God, like that's from the previous owners. And I feel like there's a presence in here, which is so bizarre thinking back because I don't think I had consumed any media that would have made me like predisposed to that. Yeah. So it was like, I was just like, I feel a presence in here. And I wasn't <laughs> scared then, but then when I had my first experience, which was, I was like coloring in my bedroom with my back to the rest of the room and my head was like in the doorway kind of and this vase moved entirely on its own across my dresser and I freaked out I was so scared and I told my mom I was like we have to switch bedrooms I'm not sleeping in this bedroom anymore and then um, I continued to be scared of stuff like that for quite a long time I probably didn't lose my fear of the things that had happened around me or to me until like 2008 when I joined the group was probably when I started being a little less scared and like actually searching for it. And that was like a group of other people interested in the paranormal and you guys would go to haunted locations and stuff and check it out. Yeah. So that was in, um, this all was in Montana. I'm from Montana originally. And I actually found this group on Facebook and I interviewed with them and they allowed me to be a part of the group. There was like 11 of us, I think 11 and 13 of us. And 
we were like super professional. We would get together, we'd have meetings every month, and then we'd also have investigations. And during our meetings, we would learn about each type of equipment and like about spiritual like theories and things like that. Um, and then we would go on investigations for private residences and businesses and things like that. So it like really helped me kind of understand how to investigate on a more like professional level. Oh yeah. What kind of tools or equipment do you use on investigations? Uh, man, I have a lot. I probably have too much stuff now, but I'd say what I bring on investigations most often would be a digital recorder, which records electronic voice phenomena. So ghost voices, essentially that we can't hear with our ears right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have a a couple different electromagnetic field meters or detectors. So those detect fluctuations in EMS, electromagnetic field. Um, I also have something I've been bringing with me a lot lately called an EDI meter, which is part EMF meter. And then it also measures temperature, vibration, humidity, all sorts of stuff. It's super cool. Wow. Those are my go-tos, I think. And a flashlight. Right. Always a flashlight. Mm -hmm. Even if it's day, well, even if it's daytime too, you can use a flashlight. Like that's like old school ghost hunting technique is using a flashlight and then asking the ghost to turn on the flashlight. And it has worked for me before. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like underappreciated. I'll throw that one out there for people because it's really like not not used enough. Like people want all the cool, like new gadgets and just insane, ridiculous looking things, which are cool for their own reasons, but $30 flashlight will do it. <laughs> yeah. There's something to be said about, you know, the originals and the uh, things that consistently work in, in every investigation. Yes, exactly. Did I see that you, uh, I don't know if it was recently, but at some point you checked out the Govan Govan schoolhouse in Washington. Yes, I did. That was a kind of like a little bit of a bucket list item for me. It's so close actually to Spokane. I want to say it was like hour and a half drive, two hour drive. Um, but I hadn't been in the 10 years I've lived here. And yeah, I finally went this summer and it was amazing. Yeah. What was that like? The photos seemed really creepy. Uh, I remember seeing like, yeah. a, a, like a little doll or something. Yeah, that was actually kind of a pleasant surprise to find that like because you know I have a blog and I'm there for the creepy vibes anyway and so <laughs> I walk in and I was like you gotta be kidding me there's this freaking doll in here. <laughs> like, that's amazing it clearly somebody had planted that for that reason but it was super creepy so Govin is an eastern Washington almost ghost town only three people live there, and it was the site of several unsolved murders back in the day, including Judge J.A. Lewis and his wife, who were horribly bludgeoned to death in their home in 1902, and the killer has never been caught. In 1941, a woman was found murdered on her farm, and her son went missing that same day, but he wasn't found until eight years later. And in the 40s, that's when the schoolhouse finally closed. That's the place that Amanda and I are talking about. Then the huge town fire happened in 1974, and that's what finally took Govin off the map. It's a really creepy-sounding place. I've never been there, and I'm okay with that. So the Govin schoolhouse is really uh, dilapidated. Like, you can kind of see through the walls and the ceiling and stuff. It's just, like, really starting to deteriorate over time. 
and I honestly didn't expect much. I went like in the broad daylight. I want to say I went at like 10 or 11 a.m. So I like just didn't expect much activity paranormal wise, even though there are tons of stories in that area. But then I got there and I was like, whoa, like it was a true testament to places that hold some kind of like special or weird energy, kind of like vortexy. And I actually ended up getting quite a few electromagnetic field fluctuations and things like that. It was it was a really good investigation, actually. So do you have any favorite haunted or spooky spots that you've discovered since you've been in Washington? There is a handful of them. I'll say in Spokane in particular, there's the Davenport Hotel and also the Han Mansion. However, I've never investigated the mansion. Ooh, have you investigated the hotel? I've sort of investigated the hotel. Anyone anyone who also ghost hunts and investigates and stuff will understand this, but uh, I've like gone into the lobby and tried to do my own little ghost hunt without them being privy to it um i have not rented a room yet it's very expensive (laughs) so i'm working on that hoping to do that in 2021 but the davenport hotel is like a really interesting story about a woman who fell through the ceiling on accident it has this like weird glass ceiling thing and there's a door that opens up onto the glass and in my early 1900s she was drunk and opened the door and stepped outside and fell through the glass and that's the ghost story of the Davenport Hotel. It's also very beautiful. The other one you mentioned, the Han Mansion. I would love to hear more about like the local lore of that place because that's one that actually you told me to check out. And the story is wild. <laughs> yes. The Han Mansion is amazing. I will preface this by saying that it is a private residence, so it cannot be visited. And I think the new owners are not like super down with the lore around it Mm. um, which kind of makes me think that it's haunted more like more haunted (laughs) (laughs) like I don't know I just it seems suspicious and I'm like hmm but the Han Mansion is not only one of the most reportedly haunted houses in Spokane but it also has like a famous previous resident that is just outrageous like kind of like a horror Gatsby a little bit is how I like to look at it (laughs) that's Honestly, the perfect nickname for him. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So you haven't been able to investigate that place, but have you driven by it? Or Because I tried to look at photos online of what it looks like now, and it's all just covered in trees. And so I'm so curious. Yeah, so it was built early 1900s for a different family, actually. And then it was eventually the Han Mansion for Dr. Han. It's a huge property. It used to have a pool that's now been cemented in. At one time, Dr. Han partied so hard that he drove his car into the pool. I don't know if you read that story. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the property is huge. And it's in a weird area of town where properties aren't that big in that area. It's like a very normal suburb. Like, I don't know, people don't have like a lot of land, just a front and a backyard. But the property to the Han Mansion starts on one block. And it just has these big pillars and like a long driveway and then this big open field. And then it goes up to the house. But then the way to like enter the other way to the house is like two blocks up. It's insane. (laughs) It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to get up to without like boldly just driving into their driveway and then pulling like, oops, didn't mean to do that. (laughs) But I've tried many a times to take pictures from 
the bottom of their yard because that's like street facing. So I can easily just walk down the sidewalk and look at it and try to take a picture, but it just doesn't like do it justice. Like it would, if I could just get a little bit closer. Right. Yeah. It seemed like I just looked at pictures on, I think Zillow and like Google earth and it is so hard to get a peek in there. It's just all uh, like a fence and, um, and, and a bunch of trees. And it kind of looks like it's close to not residences, but like a, a library or some kind of business or something. Uh, I thought I saw a parking mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. It's across the street from a school actually. Oh, a school that is also reportedly haunted, which is interesting. That's a really interesting neighborhood. Actually. It has a lot of haunted places like that, but yeah, it's super bizarre. So here's the background and the history of the Han mansion. It's rumored to cause bad luck for its owners. Ralston Wilbur and Sarah Smith, they divorced three years after building the place in 1916. The second owner moved after only five years of living there. Then in 1924, it was sold to Dr. Hahn, full name Rudolf Hahn, nicknamed the Mad Doctor of the South Hill. And he actually wasn't even a licensed doctor, but still performed lobotomies, electrotherapy procedures, and what were at the time illegal abortions for those that could afford them. Han did these procedures in the basement of his mansion, and he was known for playing loud music late into the night, throwing these crazy parties, and apparently driving into his own swimming pool. He also may have murdered his wife. That's unclear, though her death was ruled a suicide. And after he lost his wife, Han also lost all of his money and his friends and his horror Gatsby reputation. This was because a woman from Idaho had died on his operating table and he was convicted of manslaughter. Then on August 6, 1945, Dr. Han was found dead, not in his mansion, but in his apartment with a bayonet skewering him through the chest Uh, The killer is allegedly someone who was connected to the Idaho woman that died under Dr. Han's treatment. That's a truly brutal way for his story to end. The Han mansion has since had a few other owners, though it mostly sat vacant in the 60s and 70s. And those that have spent time in or near the mansion have reported hearing screams from the basement and music in the courtyards. I guess the theory is that he killed his wife but it was technically ruled as a suicide. I wanted to get your thoughts. What do you think happened there? Sure. So I'm like, yes, I have thoughts on this. (laughs) Um, So Dr. Han was like this crazy, like crazy doctor. He partied a lot. He drank a lot of alcohol, even during prohibition. He was known for throwing these like crazy parties for Spokane elite. And he had this wife the entire time who then eventually killed herself in 1940 or so they thought. They later ended up finding, um, or I should say, he stayed in the house for a little bit after that, if I remember correctly. And then he actually was charged with manslaughter for one of the illegal abortions that he was doing, going wrong and killing one of the women. So that kind of ruined his career. And he claimed that it was too sad to be in the house because his wife had committed suicide. So he moves and then they do further investigation, finding bullet holes in the house like in the wall Mm -hmm. and start suspecting that like maybe he could have there was like suspicion that he could have killed her Um, but then he claimed that he was target shooting in his house which is (laughs) crazy (laughs) and uh, I I, there's also a theory too though that he could have just been 
I mean, he was eccentric enough. He could have just been kind of scaring his wife and being like, I'm going to shoot you and not shooting her, but shooting the wall. Yeah. Um, but I think he probably killed her. I mean, it was 1940. There's a lot of domestic abuse going on. And like, that's like after the Great Depression and stuff. Like, there's just a lot going on there. And I mean, they had a pretty volatile marriage. And the bullet holes to me, I don't know. I think I think he probably killed her. I or think at least so egged too. her on. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or at least like egged her on to do it or yeah. something like that. Something then, wasn't right there. Yeah. What I find most interesting, actually, well, besides his like Gatsby-esque parties, he moved into this small apartment building downtown, or I think it was a hotel then. It's apartments now, but he moved in there. So this like tiny apartment, not anything like the mansion that he was living in. And he's just like living his life and going about his own business. And then he ends up getting murdered by some random guy with a bayonet. Did you read that part of the story? Yes, which is, again, wild. Like, that's like the only word that really describes this man's life. Like, wild. Because it was his own bayonet that he, like, collected or something. And what? It's so so weird. I know. It's so weird. And then the guy that murdered him with his own bayonet tried to claim that it was just, like, a random robbery. But people actually suspect that he had some kind of, like, relation to somebody that he gave an illegal abortion to which oh. makes more sense to me than just a random robbery yeah i i can only imagine like how many enemies this dude probably had at that time you know um i, oh, I don't yeah. think he was probably very popular yes and no not at this <laughs> point not towards the end of his life right he's throwing the parties everyone loved him yeah and then he ended up being crazy so yeah <laughs> yeah the, the man the more i read about the history about what happened in the Han mansion and like Dr. Han himself. I was just like, yeah, this is the story that we should tell on this episode. Cause it is just nuts. And I had never heard of it. It's, it's such an interesting crazy. part of like Washington history. I know it's such like a hidden gem. Like I talk about it here, like weirdly often just cause I think it's so interesting and <laughs> no one knows about it. It feels like it, it's definitely not well known. And I think that does have something to do with it being a private residence there's like rumor that the basement still has like draining areas from like his surgeries and stuff Oh, gross. like in the floor sounds like a recipe for a haunting yeah exactly <laughs> like there's no way that house isn't haunted when that's in the basement <laughs> yeah yeah and from what I read I guess like I don't know if this is just you know lore but you know people can hear screams sometimes from the house or from the the yard and like music in the courtyards that kind of thing Yeah, there's a lot of reported disembodied voices and music and laughter and screams and all sorts of stuff like that, which kind of points to, I think, more like residual energy. I haven't heard in particular about any kind of intelligent spirit being there, like Dr. Han himself walking around and like knowing he's a ghost there, but lots and lots of claims of, yeah, screaming, laughing, music, parties, all sorts of stuff. So you mentioned energy. So there's all different types of, I mean, would you call them all hauntings? Like how do you kind of categorize the different types of spaces that you investigate? It might vary from from person to person a little bit, but there are different kinds of, I guess you could say hauntings or spectral beings or spirits, but like a couple that I mentioned, uh, residual haunting being like, 
energy left over energy imprinted in an area so it's not necessarily like a spirit left behind that can intelligently communicate with you but more like an imprint of a time that has happened in there that or something that used to happen in there often like parties for instance there's theories that like a residual haunting could be you know the sound of laughter and music at 2 a.m every Saturday night because that happened for years and years in the house it like imprinted itself I've happened to stand by that a lot of hauntings are actually like residual energy imprint. I just think that it happens more often if you walk into a place and you like smell cigar smoke or, I mean, there's tons of different ways to explain that. And it just happens more often than like you go into a house and talk to an intelligent spirit, which is somebody who it would theoretically be like an actual person who's haunting a house and you can have like an actual conversation with it through a piece of equipment like I seem to come by that kind of haunting or spirit less often but that's the more exciting one when you can talk (laughs) to a ghost for sure and then you have other ones like poltergeists and different types of stuff like that but all sorts of possibilities out there (laughs) yeah I think the the energy thing makes total sense I mean there's so little that we know about, I mean, everything from, you know, nature to space to like how, I mean, what yeah. happens after we die? Like no one knows anything truly. And so anything is possible and like energy is so powerful. I think that totally tracks. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do and, and kind of follow your journeys? So I am pretty effing spooky. That's pretty and then FN spooky on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, (laughs) the whole shebang. And then I'm also prettyfnspooky.com as well, which is my website where people can request investigations. I'll be sure to post links to Amanda's work in the show notes for this episode, plus photos of the Han Mansion and all my links and sources that can be found at washedawaypodcast.com. Washed Away is a cosmic Bigfoot production. This podcast is all about cold cases and unsolved mysteries in Washington state. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at washedawaypod. Send case suggestions to washedawaypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to help this podcast grow and reach new ears, please remember to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. I'm Ashley Smith, and I'll have another episode for you very soon.